Experience the wind in your hair and the mist on your face as you set sail to new frontiers. It's a feeling of freedom like no other. So much more than just a popular pastime. It connected our world way before the internet came on board. Let your mind drift. It's smooth sailing on today's FYI. Welcome to For Your Info. English. You got it. You got it. Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of FYI. This is our 11th episode. I had to check that because I lost track. That's right, 11 episodes. We've been broadcasting this podcast, and today we have got a very, very special episode. I've been waiting for this day for a long time, but I wanted to get the hang of it. In Spanish, I think you say, pillarle el truquillo. So I think after 10 programs, I'm finally ready to have a guest, un invitado, a guest. So ladies and gentlemen, I'm really happy to introduce our first guest. Please welcome a friend of mine from Ireland. He is our good friend, Brendan Ryan. Hello, Brendan. Hello, good morning, Alberto. Pleasure to be here. And actually, congratulations on what's been a very, very successful podcast series from what I can see from your stats. So pat yourself on the back for that one. Fantastic. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brandon. And I think, you know, you yourself as a teacher understand if, if I'm learning, then the students must be learning too, right? Absolutely. No <laughs> doubt about that whatsoever. And even preparing this episode together, uh, we both learned some things that we didn't know. Yeah, it was actually a good fun when we were doing our bit of brainstorming there. I was, uh, I was surprised to see that some of the terms and some of the expressions that we use on a daily basis uh, have their origins in, in the world of sailing. And uh, yeah, it was, I was, it, was, it was incredible the amount of terms and expressions that are out there that come directly from, from that world, yeah. Well, as we say in English, you learn something new every day, right? In Spanish? Absolutely. It's more poetic. No te acostarás sin aprender. You know, they, they're, they're a little more poetic, but ours is pretty exactly. basic. <laughs> Yeah, to the point. To the point. Al grano. You learn something new every day. We're going to talk about sailing today, but first I want to get to know you. I know you, but maybe my listeners, my podcast subscribers don't know who you are. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Brendan? Okay. Um, well, I'm originally from, from Dublin in Ireland. I came to Spain about 27, almost 28 years ago. Initially, I had no idea exactly what I was going to do in Spain. So I started teaching English, as a lot of uh, native speakers do when they, when they come to foreign countries. But I liked it so much that I decided I really want to do this job well. So I went back to Ireland, became qualified as a TEFL teacher, and then returned to, to Valencia, which is where I was living back then. And I began teaching always in company. I've never been involved in you know, purely academic environments uh, like schools and universities and stuff like that. It's always been, as happens with many teachers in my situation, in company teaching where back then you used to you know actually turn up on the door of your of the company and, and give classes to individuals or groups and since then uh, I've developed my my business over the years and I've been teleworking now for the last approximately seven or eight years primarily by classes via Skype and then during the summer months I organize intensive one-to-one -one or one-to-two uh, English courses for people with uh, specific needs or goals or aims and they come here to my house they spend a week or two weeks here. And apart from the English, we also throw in a lot of water activity sports like sailing, kayaking, diving, that type of thing. Yeah, so, so here I'm 47 years old and I've been teaching for approximately 27 of those years. So uh, what you do is almost like an English adventure which is cool because you're learning English while doing things. And I think that's one of my styles of teaching too. Uh, what better way to learn about water than by, you know, sailing? What better way to learn about uh, any sport or activity than by doing it hands-on, as we say? That's it, absolutely. And the good thing about the, the courses that we do here is that because they're so very, very intense, because when you do a one-to-one -one intensive course and you're in the, the teaching, house for you know for a period of a week 10 days or two weeks it can become very very intense and in fact the the psychological and mental load 
it starts to become obvious on the second or the third day. Usually when people turn up here on the first day, they're, they're full of energy and yeah, you know, this is going to be, this is going to be a walk in the park. You know, it's uh, it's going to be very, very easy, but they realize in the second or third day that it's, you know, the, the amount of, of, uh, of material that they're absorbing is enormous. So it's a great um, escape valve to get out on the water, be it on a boat or in a kayak or in a paddle board or whatever the case might be. And yeah, sure. They, they, it's funny when we look through the, the list of uh, terms and expressions that they've learned at the end of their, their two week or 10 day period, there's always a lot of nautical terms thrown in there. So it's, uh, it's great. Yeah. Can you tell us how people can get more information about all the different options that you just spoke about? Sure. I'm, I'm not really that present on, on social media. Um, the only social media that I, that I use really is, is Twitter. And I'm uh, relatively, I, I post quite a lot of tweets. Or I would say two to three tweets a day on a, on a regular basis. That's the only place that I'm really present. So the best way to contact me getting, getting to answer your question is either through direct message on my, on my Twitter, which is Brendan DM Ryan or uh, to contact me via my email, which also appears in my, in my Twitter profile. That's the best way. Um, I try to keep things as, as personal as possible. And although I do have a website, my website is more to refer people to so that they know once that they know that they're coming here, what they can expect. There's for, right. uh, videos of you know, previous people, students' experiences and, and stuff like that. But uh, Twitter is the place to find me. It's the the, the quickest and the easiest way. So it's at arroba Brendan DM Ryan. And guys, I highly recommend that if, you, if you're not following him, you should be following him. He posts amazing content, tweets that are chock full of, a tope de, right? Chock full of content, whether that's video content, written content. So while I've got you here, congratulations on the amazing content. <laughs> Thanks for that. Appreciate it. It's always nice to get a bit of positive feedback because as you know yourself, the, the, the massive effort that goes into preparing just a, a very, very short video. You know, I mean, people don't understand that a, a well, a relatively well edited two minute video can take you up to three, four hours even just to prepare something that's, that's interesting to watch. And at the same time, you know, provides your students with, uh, with some, some new vocab or info or stuff that they didn't know about the, the grammar and so on. Sure. Everything, everything takes time. You know, this podcast is another example, something I love to do. People are loving it. They get it. I'm bringing new friends on board. No pun intended. I got to tell you something though, but it takes me a full day to plan it, to script it, to edit it. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about a 10 hour work day, a full day. Uh, if I, you know, I don't do it in one day, obviously I can't, <laughs> but uh, it takes a lot of time to produce content. But if people love it, people are enjoying it. I think uh, that's, that makes it all worthwhile. It's the, absolutely the rewarding part, no gratificante. It's quite rewarding. Um, Absolutely. When you get, we get the occasional comments or get the occasional comment at the, you know, in the, in the messages uh, from some of the videos that I post. And it's always very nice to see people, you know, come in and tell you, that oh, it was a great video. Really enjoyed it. Even if you only get one or two of those comments, it's, it's enough. You know, sure. some, somebody has enjoyed it. Somebody has found something in it that was useful for them. And that's great. See, guys, see how simple it is to brighten your teacher's day? Just tell them that you learned something, that you enjoyed it. Give us a like, a retweet, and we know that you loved it and that you got it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they realize, but I, you know, I, I hang on those retweets and likes. And, and not because I'm looking for you know, internet points, but yeah, sure. it's really because I want to see is if what I've put up there has been in, of any use to somebody. So if you get in 30, 40 likes, you're thinking, great, you know, 30, 40 people found this useful in right. different parts of the world. It's, it's a and nice feeling. Gauge too, you know, to gauge is como medir. You can gauge and say, well, this content works better than that one, or people are really enjoying it. And this way, uh, as we're telling our students, we as teachers too are constantly evolving and improving the quality of our content. And, you know, if the students are always improving and the teacher's improving, I call that evolution. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, there's, there's a certain amount of democracy as well, because anytime um, somebody puts a like or a retweet or a comment, then I know that that particular content you know, is, is, uh, is appropriate or is attractive or certainly successful. So I know that that's what I have to go for the next time, because on occasions I have a, what I think is a great idea, but falls flat. You know, it's sure. a exit though. When, uh, when I post it on, on Twitter. So it's great. You know, you could, people can kind of, when they're, when they're liking and retweeting, they're actually voting and saying, you know, I like this, more of this, please. And, and to use a, uh, an expression that has to do with water, uh, you know, we're testing the waters. We're literally saying, let's see how this works. Let's see how this works. And so thanks to you guys who participate, uh, we know what's working, what we can improve, and what sections you're really learning from. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. All right. Well, uh, Brendan, before I get into your love for sailing, because I know you love sailing and uh, I want to know what sparked your interest in that, I like to look at the intro. As, a, as I said in the intro, uh, I always put some words in there that we can look at. So the first one I said is experience the wind in your hair. This is a pretty confusing word, isn't it? Wind. The wind. Yeah. Well, I suppose in the problem with wind is that depending on how you pronounce it, it can mean you know one thing or, or another. As you know, if you pronounce it wine, it's not like cuerda, you know, as you would with a, with one of those old-fashioned watches. You know? Sure. But but yeah, for sure, I would say that one of the most pleasurable things about being out on a on a boat is, without doubt, that that simple thing of of feeling the wind in your hair. Uh, depending on how much wind you're feeling, of course, because if you're out for a pleasure sail, fantastic. But unfortunately, a lot of the sailing that I do, you're feeling the wind and you're feeling the rain and you're feeling the, you know, the, the sheets and the ropes and the boat bashing against your face. You know, it's, uh, it's pretty intense, it sounds. It's very intense. It's very, very intense. Um, when you're doing competition sailing at the level that we do it at, um, you're going out there to win, obviously. You want to do your best because you're in a in a boat with a crew of, of four other people. Everyone has made their specific effort to get there and take their time off and sacrifice their holidays and so on and so forth. So we want to do our best, you know, and we are competing practically always against very, very competitive fleets, uh, be it at home in, in Ireland or in the different countries where we have competed it's uh, very, very physical. Sailing, the type of sailing that, that we do, and I have to admit that most competition sailing, in spite of what some people might think, it's very, very physical. It's very physical. And, and going back to that thing about wind, so wind is a good thing, but it can be a bad thing too, is what I'm getting from what you said too. Absolutely. Um, in fact, just this morning, uh, before I connected with you, I'm, I'm on a couple of different WhatsApp groups with the, the different sailing activities that are going on around in, in, in Ireland and, and elsewhere. And my brother and uh, one of his daughters, one of my nieces, uh, they're helping organize what is the yearly regatta at our local yacht club, which is an inland lake called uh, Loch Ree. And unfortunately, today, Tuesday, all sailing has been cancelled because there is too much wind. So you don't want too little wind because you're just going to sit there on the water and go nowhere very quickly. Right. And on the other hand, you don't want too much wind because it can either become very, very dangerous, right. uh, even life-threatening on some occasions, or simply you're just uh, standing on the land, looking at the waves and the wind, thinking, God damn it, you know, I've traveled all this way and I've made all this sacrifice and the wind gods are not in our favor today. And that has happened to us on a number of occasions, unfortunately. Uh, one small anecdote I can tell you is that when we did our first world championship in a yacht club called Hoth Yacht Club, which is in the north of, of County Dublin in Ireland, mm -hmm. I think it was 2013, there was so much wind that of the five-day sailing that we had planned, I think we only managed to do two and a half or three Wow. Which is terrible because there are people coming as far as, you know, from Japan, Argentina, so from the United States. What you're telling it's, us is wind is both your friend and your foe. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can either make a day fantastic with the right amount of wind blowing in the right direction, or it can ruin your day because quite simply you've got out to the race course and you sat on, you know, flat cam waters for up to an hour, an hour and a half while the committee tries to see if they can, if they can do something about it or if they can perhaps organize the course in such a way where we can take advantage of any little bit of wind there. But it can be very, very frustrating. And frustrating, you know, frustrante right. is a word that's, uh, that's used very much in, in the world. In the sailing sailing. world. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to the mist on your face. That, I also said mist, which is, uh, what do you say, niebla? How do they say mist in Spanish? Uh, well, I suppose mist, the mist that we see in the clouds, yeah, that would be niebla, but I suppose it would be, be, I suppose, just the, the mist is la salpicadura del agua, no, the, the, the splash. Mm-hmm. And is, is that something you feel? Because see, I have, I'm, I'm going to admit something right now. I've never gone sailing. So when I wrote the intro, I was just imagining myself sailing. Do you feel mist on your face? You, you do feel mist on your face, but you don't have time to appreciate it. And absolutely, we have to, uh, we have to correct that, that, uh, that uh, shortcoming that you have in your life that you've never sailed. That has to be solved. So in the, in the, the coming 12 months... We need to sort that one out. I have plenty of boats looking for crew, Alberto, and a strong guy like you, 
you'll be top of the list. No qualifications required, no experience, just the, the will to get out there and, and suffer a little bit. And, you know, to be an adventurer, I think you have to be, I mean, if you think about the earliest sailors, they were navigators, they were explorers, they were literally, you know, exploring uncharted territory. So I think the sailing, the soul of a sailor is an adventurer, an explorer. Is that true? Absolutely, because I think about it sometimes, the type of uh, racing that we do now tends to keep us in a very, very small area because that's the way it's organized. But we've done long distance races before and on different types of boats, larger boats than, than the one I currently sail on. You know, I've sailed all over the, the Mediterranean from uh, basically from Genoa all the way around to the French coast, almost to, to Spain. And I, th I used to think about it sometimes thinking that we have the equivalent of a GPS, you know, GPS on our boats. And most boats have something similar today with all types of technology that, that make it a relatively safe and a relatively easy uh, hobby or sport to be involved in. Mm. But think about how it must have been for these people who set foot in a boat, pointed the boat towards the horizon, didn't know where they were going, didn't know what to expect, had absolutely no idea. And as soon as land was out of sight... They're on their They're own. On own. Literally. <laughs> it's incredible. No, no, I think yeah. about it because now, as you said, you do it, you, you get lost on purpose a little bit yeah. and you find your way back, but you have what you need. You have the navigational tools, you know, even radar, uh, satellite technology, as, as you said before. But back then it was like, well, we hope this is the right way. Let's see which way this, uh, you know, wind brings us. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a fantastic feeling that you get when you come into land to a place that you've never been before. And I remember I experienced that for the first time when I sailed with my sister. I have a sister, uh, Durval, uh, who lives in Italy, in the, the, the north of Italy, in, in Milan, in a small village in the north, as if it was La Sierra de Madrid, but in, in Milan, no? very similar. Right. And she's done a lot of sailing uh, from Genova and, and ports around that part of Italy. So she used to take me along, you know, to, to give her a hand and to spend some time with her and her husband and her children. And it's a great, great feeling when you're coming into a place that you've never been before and you, you, you know, you come in, you come to it from the sea, you step on land. It's just a special feeling. It's not the same as getting off a plane perhaps or stepping off a bus or a train. When you come in by boat to somewhere you've never been before, very special feeling. So just imagine how it must've been for those people discovering new lands and new territories and new peoples. Really incredible. Yeah, it must. I mean, the, the exploring element is still there. The thing is now you're exploring territory that's been explored before, but these guys were going to places that they didn't even know. Look at Columbus, Colon. He thought he was going to the West Indies or something, and he got lost. Good good thing for us in the United States <laughs> yeah. that he got lost. Uh, uh, all right, so what, uh, what sparked your love of sailing? Because obviously uh, this is something that runs in your blood, it seems. It's one of your passions. Where did it all start? Without any shadow of a doubt, it came from my father. Uh, my father, rest in peace, he passed away a couple of years ago. He was basically an old sea dog. He'd been sailing since before he was 10, as far as I know. And he did his last competition the year before he died. So technically, the guy was sailing for about 70 years. And over the course of those 70 years, he had a number of different boats and so on and so forth. But he was a very, very competitive sailor. So since I was a kid... We were, we were living the life of sailing. Now, I'm going to be totally honest with you, Alberto. I didn't have much of a passion or love for sailing when I was a kid and even less so when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. Because as you can imagine, particularly when you're a teenager, when it's Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday nights, you want to be out with your friends, you know, going to parties and discos and meeting right. girls and so on and so forth. But I had this kind of obligation desire as well, but more of an obligation, if we're to be totally honest, to be out sailing and to be competing. Didn't have much of an interest. Actually, what happened is I started to move away from the world of sailing for a period of time because I had more interest in, in other things. But about 11 years or so, my brother, uh, Finbar, my eldest brother, he lives in Ireland, he found a boat, a J24, which is a very competitive boat, very fast sailing boat in, in Ireland. He found it in a field covered in this green, this green moss. You know, it, was, uh, it had been obviously sitting there for a very, very long time. He bought it for a few grand. He cleaned it up, got some old sails, but he had no crew. So my father uh, sent me an email and said, would you be interested in coming sailing with your brother? Come on, he needs a bit of a hand here. Come over and, and help him. I wasn't that interested, I got to be honest with you. But hey, when I got on that boat, my brother was there. 
my father was there, three of my four nieces, my brother's four daughters were there. So initially it was the family aspect. I'd been away from them from such a long time that it was great to be back in contact with them again. And then, you know, we started to get better or better in our, in our category. Uh, we sold the old boat and bought a new one, a much faster, a much more competitive one, a much uh, newer one. And now it's the fact that because of coronavirus, uh, all, all the competitions have been either postponed or canceled has been absolutely catastrophic for me this year. And unfortunately, because I live in Spain, anywhere I go, I have to quarantine for two weeks. So whether or not I get any sailing in at all this year is, is, uh, is questionable, which is, which is unfortunate. But um, hey, it's not going to go anywhere. Hopefully next year we'll be, we'll be back in, in competition again. We'll, we'll enjoy it more. That's what we're hoping. The next time we travel or do the things we want to do freely, uh, let's hope we, we don't take them for granted and, and we really enjoy the crap out of them. Pardon my French. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that the next time we get on the water in a competitive environment, you know, we're really going to go for it. Uh, there is, we do have the national championships in, in Ireland on the 4th and the 5th of September. They are going to go ahead. But again, as I mentioned, because I'm in Spain, not really sure how that's going to work for me. I, I don't, obviously I can't quarantine for two weeks. It wouldn't be practical for me. So either the two week quarantine disappears in Ireland or I won't be getting much sailing in this year. But in any case, as you say yourself, we will be, as we say in English, back with a vengeance, you know, but veremos con muchas ganas, no, in la próxima temporada, the next season. So sailing runs in your family. It's in your blood. I wanted uh, to ask you your dad's name so we could dedicate this episode to him. Why don't we do that? Absolutely. My dad's name was Kevin. Kevin Ryan. He Kevin was, uh, Ryan. We're going to dedicate this episode to Kevin Ryan, who sparked his love of interest, uh, excuse me, his love of sailing in his son. And uh, well, he's here telling us about it today, which is great. This is how we pass down traditions. Absolutely. And it was, you know, an absolute honor to be able to, to step on board with my brother and to get into the situation we are now. We're actually competing at a pretty high level. And our great thing about our boat is that my brother's a skipper, El Padron, mm-hmm. or Timonel, as sometimes they call them in, in Spanish. Uh, and then the rest of the crew is made up of uh, two of his daughters, Kira and Aoife, and myself, and generally one other person. So the family aspect, that's where it came from, and that's where it still is today. It's, you guys uh, bonded. Like, uh, no, to bond is como crear vínculos. It brought you closer together. Absolutely, because I've always had a good relationship with the, all my family, thank God. But to be totally honest with you, be Irish people and particularly the Ryans in our family, we have a tendency to kind of go on, go off to live in foreign lands and you know be in contact. With, you know. Exactly, exactly. We used to do it out of pure necessity back in the seventies and eighties when when the economy had had tanked. You know, the economy was not doing very well, so we'd emigrate to the U.S., to Australia, to the U.K. But now we just do it because it's in our blood. You know, we just, we just keep believing because it's a, I think it's something naturally Irish. But as you say yourself, Alberto, it's great to be able to bond with my, I have a great relationship now with my brother, with my niece, my nieces, all of them, the four that he has. Because the thing about the competitions that we do, everyone wants to chip in. Todo el mundo quiere contribuir, you know, Good to word. chip in. So we have uh, my mother who's providing us sometimes with the food for, for, for the boat when we're out sailing. Mm-hmm. My brother's wife does the same thing sometimes. Uh, my sisters help us sometimes with the logistics when we're traveling internationally. They sometimes even help with, with, uh, with voucher, vouchers for, uh, for Aer Lingus that we can travel a bit more cheaply and so on and so forth. So everyone's involved, which is a really nice feeling. I really like that part of it, you know. All hands on deck. It reminds me of the expression, all hands on deck. Todos a ayudar. <laughs> exactly. And that's exactly what it is. It's the perfect expression because really, in some cases, quite literally all hands are on deck. But in the background, we have a great support crew. And I think people don't realize that. But it's nice to know that when you're traveling to one of these events that you have other people out there that are not going to compete, but they're, they're concerned and they're contributing in any way that they can with accommodation. Or a couple of years ago, we did our world championship in, in Italy very close to where my sister lives and of course she was a great help to us there and came to see us and to you know to cheer us on with her her son and daughter Michael and Caroline and it's just the family aspect Alberto which I didn't expect to experience at all that's that's there that that's key that's key to the whole thing do you think your dad knows what he started I mean do you think now looking back he would realize that he got you all on board so to speak I think he had his, it was kind of his dark master plan. You know, he knew that he kind of pushed some of us away from saving because of his insistence. So I think as he got older and wiser in life, he thought, okay, I'm going to try this again. 
I'm going to take it a bit slower this time and see if I can. And he did, you know, in a nice way, he kind of manipulated us, so to speak, into getting back on board and, and competing because my, my father's trophy cabinet is, is, is full to the brim, you know, mm-hmm. uh, where, he, where he keeps all his, his cups and his trophies and he wanted to push us in the same direction. And although our trophy cabinet is not quite as full yet, we're going in the right direction. You're following in his footsteps. Is there a way to say that on the sea? You're, you're following in his, in his uh, trail winds. <laughs> yeah, we could say that we're, we're sailing his course. You know? He set the course and, and we're sailing the course. That's oh. exactly, which would be very similar to, to, to following a particular, you know, un camino en concreto, un camino marcado, no? to, 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 follow it, to follow his course. Well, I got to say, your dad would be very proud. What's the, what is the name of the team? I, I'm, I keep forgetting to ask you that, just so we can look you up or take a look at the boat. Do you have a, a place where we sure, can... Sure, I mean, it's easy enough to Google. We sail on a boat, a, a class of boat, which is called a J24, you know, J24. Um, and just a tip uh, for, your, for your listeners, uh, something that might be helpful to know, is that generally speaking, when you see a number related to a boat, they're talking about the length, oh. the, how long that boat is in feet, in pies. So, un J24 measures 24 feet, okay? okay. So, generally speaking, it's, it's not a rule that's going to cover all uh, names of boats, but a lot of boats, uh, the number has something to do with how long they are, something to do with their, with their dimensions. So, our boat is a J24. It's a one design, which means that all boats competing on an international level must weigh exactly the same down to the gram. They must measure the same down to the millimeter. So when you're turning up for a world-class event, you will have a group of people, most of them uh, Americans, and usually the same group of people, who, I, like I say, will measure your boat and weigh your boat. If you're a gram or a millimeter, over or under the stipulated uh, characteristics or uh, dimensions of the boat, you either need to remove or add. So what's a very common thing to see before the beginning of any of these events is people working on their boats to either add weight or to remove weight or to make something longer or shorter. So it's very, very demanding. And our boat is called Jellignite, Jellignite. Spell it for us, because I want to. We want to look it up. I mean, we can put a link maybe to it as well in the podcast. Sure, sure. Jellignite is J E L I G N I T E. Jellignite. That's the way we spell it. Because in our world of J twenty fours, there's a tendency to name all boats with something beginning with J. Empieza por la palabra por la letra J. So you have lots of boats that are. J this and J that or Jana or Jinx or, or Jandy or. Okay, great. You know what? I can't believe it, but we've run out of time in the first part of the podcast. We've got to take a quick break and then we're going to do the second part. Are you going to stick around with us for the second part for our Patreons? Absolutely. And, you know, maybe you could, seeing as this is your, your 11th show and I'm your first guest, I think you should, you know, do a bit of a freebie there for your fans, Albert. You've been, you're being very successful. You got to throw something in there for, you, for your guys right. for free. I'll tell you what, you talked me into it. Me has convencido. Te convencido. We're, we're going to make the bonus part of today's show totally free for everyone. Usually it's uh, exclusively for my Patreon members. By the way, if you guys want more information, it's patreon.com slash Alberto Alonso. You can find out about getting PDFs. You can find out about bonus audio, review classes with me and all that. But this week, as per the captain's request, uh, (laughs) we are going to make the second part totally free. And in the second part, we're going to learn some of the most common idioms in the English language and their sailing origins, which, as I said, Brandon and I didn't realize they came from sailing. So if we learned, you guys are definitely going to learn too. We'll be back in just a moment with the second part of today's FYI. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to the second part. We've decided to make it totally free, so I hope you guys enjoy today's bonus episode. Remember, if you want to get this every week, you can subscribe to me on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Alberto Alonso. And today we're here again with my friend, Brendan Ryan. Brendan, welcome back. 
Thanks very much, Alberto. Great to be here. I'm hoping that this second and free section is going to be even even more interesting and better than the first part we did. Well, don't worry, Brendan. It's going to be smooth sailing. Absolutely. I love this one. This is one that we used in the intro. Smooth sailing is viento en popa would be maybe one way to say this or... I suppose it's a bit of a tricky one to translate. I mean, smooth sailing indicates that it's, a, it's, it's easy, no obstacles in the way, and enjoyable at the same time. And, and certainly this is easy and enjoyable. So yeah, smooth right. sailing. These are not yes. rough. The opposite of smooth would be rough seas, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Smooth, you have to think of if we, if we were to translate smooth as liso, if you look out at the sea and the mar está liso, la mar está lisa, then it's uh, smooth, you know, smooth sailing. So smooth we sailing. Well, we've got so many idioms that come from sailing. And as we said, sailing was the original thing that connected our world before the internet, before airplanes. So it's no wonder that so much of the English language uh, comes from sailing. I know it's, it's actually mind-boggling, you know, it's, it's uh, alucinante because um, when we were organizing this and I was doing my homework for, for this uh, podcast, I was amazed to see really how many expressions and idioms and terms and so on there are in English related to sailing. Because when I initially looked at the list, I thought, okay, a lot of these are going to be uh, obscure expressions that we don't use very much, but no, not true at all. I have a list of 50. Of course, we won't be going through the 50 in, in, in this show, but if you Google sailing expressions in English, you'll come across many lists that are between 50 or 100 expressions, and they are very, very commonly used with very few exceptions. So yeah, plenty to learn. Yeah, and that was something, you know, because as you said, there were so many that I had to really pick and choose. I had to, to cherry pick, as we say, and mm. choose the ones that were the most common the ones that were <laughs> universally used. But as you said, it's endless, the amount of expressions or words uh, that, are, that come from this world. It's, it's, it's actually, I, I was surprised, like I say, when I was doing my homework, I didn't expect to find so many commonly used expressions that come from the same source, which is, which is sailing. All right, well, let's take a look at the first one. The first one I want to look at is not. And this is uh, a way, it's miles, kilometers, but when we're sailing, we're talking about knots. And I had no idea that this really has to do with a knot, un nudo. Exactly. Yeah, the same as it is in Spanish, yeah. Mm -hmm. So what happened in the, the old days of sailings, I guess, to determine the speed of the ships, what, what would they do? Well, as for, from what I understand of the of the origins of the of the word "not," spelt N O U G H T, is that they would have a length of rope. They would tie a knot, nudo, and then every so often, depending on the angle of the boat, they would drop another knot, and that knot, and that way, they would be able to measure the speed that they are traveling at and the distance that they have covered. And it's a system that that hasn't changed. It's, uh, it's say still not the same. Even though nobody's using a rope, una cuerda y nudos. Yeah, the, the wind is measured always by nudos, by, by knots, exactly. And this is another word, too, that is used in aviation, not just in sailing. That's right. It's as we mentioned uh, off air there, there are a number of crossover expressions or express, expressiones compartidas, no, between our two worlds, between flying and sailing. And uh, speed measurement, knots, is, is one of those. And it's a homophone, too, for the word not, right? Not this. That's right. No, no, I'm not going to talk about knots. No voy a hablar de nudos. <laughs> yeah, there's, right. there's practically no difference phonetically between the two words. The next one now, to be blue. Now, see, I was totally misguided here. I thought that the blues came from the music because they were sad and, you know, and the blues. But that's not, to be blue means to be sad. But I was totally wrong on the etymology. Well, I'm going to be totally honest with you here, Alberto. When I read that one, I had no idea that that's where it came from, pretty much like yourself. So it was a, a, I learned something today that that's where it comes from. So basically what it is, is that if a ship lost its captain during a voyage, the sailors would hoist blue flags. And that's where it came from to show that they were de luto. They were in mourning. And that's where it came from. So, so when you're feeling blue. Of a blue flag on the ship that indicated the captain's death. That's crazy. See, <laughs> I've been using the expression all my life. I've even felt blue many times, but I didn't know where it came from. I had no idea. All right. Well, Brendan, when I was a kid, I was a bit of a loose cannon. Were you a loose cannon or were you a pretty chill guy? 
And no, I was definitely a bit of a loose cannon, no doubt about it. Uh, still a bit of a loose cannon, if you ask my mother. <laughs> um, and, and literally what loose cannon is, is it's a literal translation, isn't that right, from, from English to Spanish. It's un cañón suelto, which basically means that you had a cannon on board these, these, these boats that were going into battle. But if it wasn't tied down, atada o atado, it would move around the boat, which of course made it dangerous. And so loose, a loose cannon is an expression generally to describe um, a, a person usually in their teens or early 20s, que está un poco loco, you know, a little bit crazy or in a good way, in an innocent way, but like you, you and I, I think we're without any shadow of a doubt, loose cannons in our, in our younger days. I've definitely been called a loose cannon. Es una persona peligrosa, pero no siempre en el sentido de you belong in prison, dangerous. <laughs> More a loose cannon. Oh man, how many times have I heard that one? Now, the kind of person you're going to have great fun with if you if to go partying with, you know, a loose cannon is a guy you want on your team, you know, at least for a few nights. Uh, he's going to make it all that much more interesting. Uh, another one. Now, this one I kind of imagined came from sailing, but I didn't know the story behind it. Now, the expression is, as the crow flies. A crow is un cuervo, right? So, as the crow flies, which means in a straight line or the most direct route, right? Absolutely. And, and this is one that I did know. It's uh, as the crow flies, as, as, you're, as you're indicating there, Alberto, is when you go from point A to point B in the, in the straightest line possible, which as birds can do, como puede hacer el cuervo, you know, as, as a crow can. And it's, it's uh, it comes from directly from, from sailing. So yeah, so before we had the navigational systems, the modern navigational systems, as we spoke about in the first part, the British boats used to carry birds crows on board and these birds would fly straight to land so the idea would be that you would let one of these birds one of these crows out of its cage and quite simply follow the direction that it went in which would in theory take you to land interesting so what we had to do the whole time was just follow nature that's it as easy as that nature has a way of knowing how to survive and what to do so uh oh, if she's very smart nature, uh we can't go wrong don't go i always say this you don't have to follow nature but don't go against it because you'll always lose. Absolutely. No beating nature. So as the crow flies in a straight line. Now this next one, posh. I had no idea that this came from sailing. I, I don't know. It blew my mind, to be honest. The word posh is an acronym. That's right. And to be honest with you, this is one that I actually learned only a couple of months ago. Again, I didn't realize that that's where it came from. And in fact, when I discovered that posh, P-O-S-H, which is port side out, starboard home, was an expression that came from colonial Boston, where the trunks of wealthy passengers, trunks being the los baules de viaje, the trunks of wealthy passengers, would carry the label P-O-S-H, posh, which, as I mentioned, stands for port side, el lado de babor, port side out, and starboard home. So when you're going out, port side, and when you're coming back, estribor, uh, starboard. So that's where it comes from. And this was because what they wanted to do, these people with a lot of money, I guess, these wealthy passengers, they wanted to keep their suitcases, their trunks, their luggage or baggage. Wow, so many different ways to say equipaje. They wanted to keep them in the shade, right? A la sombra. That's right. So when you're going out port side, the sun is on the other side. And when you're coming back, this was a theory, of course, but I'm not sure how, how well it worked in the practice because, uh, like we said before, nature doesn't always uh, play in your favor. So depending on the direction your boat took, perhaps it wasn't as posh as you wanted it to be. But uh, I don't think a lot of native speakers realize that that's where posh comes from. And in fact, the first time I read that expression, I actually did a fact check on Google just to be sure it sounded a bit suspect. Yeah, it sounded kind of kind of made up, but that's where it comes from. Yeah. All right, so now that we're talking about port, starboard, uh, the deck, the poop deck, can you tell us a little bit, enlighten us a little bit on the different parts of a sailing boat or a, or a sailboat or a ship? Okay, so um, obviously there are some things that all sailboats have in common. I suppose the most important part of, of the boat would be the sails themselves. And depending on the type of sailboat that you're sailing, you'll have one type of sail or another, or you'll have perhaps uh, two sails or three sails, or in some cases, uh, even four sails. So obviously the biggest sail on the boat is called the main sail, que es la, la vela principal o la, o la vela mayor. That's your, your main sail. And then in the front of the boat, okay, you can have 
generally two different types of sails. And the type of sail that you, that you choose depends on the amount of wind. So we have one sail called the jib, which in Spanish they, they tend to say el, el foque. And the jib is a smaller sail that goes on the front of the boat, which gives you a little bit of extra power. When the wind is not so strong, you can put up a bigger sail, which is called a Genoa. And we use the same name in English as we do in Spanish. And then if you've ever seen that wonderful you know, spectacle of a, a whole pile of boats sailing on the lake or, or in the harbor, with this very, very large, colorful sail you know, ballooning out the front of the boat, that's called a spinnaker. And again, it's a very, very similar word in Spanish. I think it's pronounced as spinnaker, no? But it's, it's, it's exactly the same thing. And basically, the spinnaker on the boat is your accelerator. A uh, big difference from sailing a boat with a spinnaker than to sailing it without and requires a, a lot of skill. I suppose um, other parts of that, that all sailing boats have in common would be your mast, which is your mastil, your mast. And the most dangerous part of a boat, it's the part of the boat that comes perpendicular to the mast and very close to the deck. The deck is la cubierta. That's called the boom. And in Spanish is botavara. And the boom, the reason it's dangerous is that it tends to move very, very quickly in certain circumstances from one side of the boat to the other. So always to be avoided in, in strong winds or, or tricky situations. So you have your mainsail, your mast, your boom, your foque, you have your genoa, your spinnaker. And then, of course, you need your volante, you know, you need your steering wheel. And in, on a boat, it's made of two parts. You have your rudder which is the bit that goes into the water, and the rudder is the timon. And then you have your tiller, which is the part of the rudder which you hold in your hand. So one part is in the water, and then you form, it forms an L shape, and the tiller comes onto the deck, and that's where the skipper, el patron, el timonel, takes, takes control of the boat. So there are your basics. The craft itself, your, your, your engine, which is the, the sails, and your steering wheel, which is the, the rudder and the tiller. And, and I guess there are ropes involved, which reminds me of an expression here. When we talk That's about right. to, uh, ropes. To, to show someone the ropes, strictly speaking, there are no ropes on a boat. Uh, a Puritan sailor will say, there are no ropes in this boat. They're all sheets in the same way as in Spanish they wouldn't say, in este barco no hay cuerdas, son todos cabos. The right. same in English. But that's been lost over the years. People are, have, have gone back to calling sheets ropes, which, which is fine with me. And to show some of the ropes is a great expression, very, very commonly used, which is basically imagine the scenario when you invite someone onto your boat and you want to teach them how to actually help you move that boat around the bay. You need right. to show them the ropes, which is literalmente mostrarles, show them the ropes, which is this rope is for this and this rope is for that. And it can be used a lot if you're perhaps working with a new, a new colleague at work, a new employee has come to work at your company mm -hmm. and needs your help to show them the ropes, you know, enseñarles como hacer su trabajo. The other side of that is also to learn the ropes. So you're showing them the ropes and they're learning the ropes. So when you're, right. you're, as you just said, I thought of a new, somebody new at a job. So they said, oh, well, you're not doing too great. Well, I'm learning the ropes. Voy a, estoy aprendiendo. Como van las cosas, I think, you know, los exactly. I think they say in Spanish, right? That's right. And it's a very, very commonly used expression. You know, don't, don't be afraid of using any of these expressions that you're picking up on today's show because they are very, very commonly used. And that's one of them to either show. Sometimes you'll hear the expression, teach the ropes, although I prefer show the ropes. And as you say yourself, the other side of that, which is, of course, to learn the ropes. And you, you mentioned before sheets as well, which reminded me of another very popular expression, at least in the United States, to be three sheets to the wind. To be three sheets to the wind, yeah. It's an expression that if I'm totally honest with you, I have absolutely no idea what it means. I'm not going to lie to you, do three sheets to the wind. Maybe you can enlighten me on that one. Yeah, well, okay. Well, this is one that you, now you can imagine if you're on your boat and you're three sheets to the wind, you've lost control of your vessel. Of course. Right. Yeah, uh, okay. Now, it, it means you're drunk, basically, but it can also be you're crazy too. You've lost control, whether it's because you've drunk too much or because you've lost control in another way. You don't want to be three sheets to the wind. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's, it's a great expression. It, thinking about it now, I can, you've lost control because perhaps there's so much wind that the, the wind has taken the sheets out of your boat. And you've, it's basically like when you cannot, you've no control over the accelerator in your car. You right. know, you're three sheets to the wind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lost control. 
exactly with the, with the ropes flailing away in the wind yeah imagine somebody in the middle of a lake like what do i do here i'm lost i have no way to get back home and uh i am three sheets to the wind i have to admit i've been three sheets to the wind a few times in my life <laughs> uh, it's not a good place to be because if we're on shore when you're looking at a boat that's in those circumstances it looks like total chaos and disaster uh, and well speaking of that uh, you, i'm i'm into aviation and you know i'm a plane spotter do you guys do sure. the same thing when you go to a marina or, you know, uh, you're walking down the beach? Do you spot Divisar? Uh, do you spot boats? Absolutely. It's exactly the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. And I, I used to remember doing it with my dad when I was a kid and I used to hate it. We'd go to a local town where, that had a marina, you know, in Clunauteg or whatever. And we'd walk up and down the pontoons in the marina. Uh, this boat is from 19, whatever, and it was built here. And, and this one over there, it's, it's almost the same, but it has, you know, different sort of sails set up and so on. And it still happens to this day. My, my brother is, is an absolute fanatic about boats. Anytime he's in a new country or a new town, a new place, he's looking for that marina to see. Because as I assume or may happen in, in flying as well to a degree, the type of boats that you find in a marina indicates the type obviously of sailing and the, the general sort of sailing atmosphere of that club. Obviously, there are lots of motor launches, very little sailing goes on there. But, but uh, when you arrive to a port where you see lots of the old classic boats, then you know that you're in a, in a sailing club where they do some real sailing. Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. The, the vessels say a lot about it. Uh, it reminds me of airports. If you want to see heavies, which are the big ones, the, the A380s, the 747s, well, you're going to have to go to a big airport, JFK, you know, Tokyo. You're not going to see those in Almeria Airport. So, <laughs> you know, you, but you also see some very interesting planes, propeller, mm -hmm. the Elife, if you're on at smaller airports. So it depends what you're into as well. Yeah, that's true too. I mean, we obviously, our interest is in sailing boats that go fast and anything kind of anywhere in the region of 24 to 30 feet in, in and around 10 meters, uh, that, that's the kind of thing we like. Of course, it's nice to admire the bigger boats, but there's much more action on the smaller boats because I suppose in the same way as if you're flying a, Th a Cessna, for example, I've never, never, I've never flown, sorry, a plane in my life. But um, if you're on board a, a Cessna or a small light aircraft, the movements are quite sharp, I'm guessing. Not, not the same as, as a 747, of course, exactly the same in sailing. Speaking of the word smooth that we used before, Liso, no? the smoothest yeah. flight I've ever been on was an A380, the double-decker jumbo jet. Yeah, it's just uh, it's pushing through absolutely everything, right? But even the takeoff and the landing, a beast, but it's, it was the smoothest flight I've ever been on. <laughs> so. Yeah, and, and I think the same is applicable to, to sailing. The larger the boat, even sometimes the less you realize you're actually on a boat on the sea. I think today we're realizing just how many connections there are between my love of aviation and your love sailing in boats. <laughs> Yeah, there are a lot more connections there than I actually realized, Albert. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I remember when you tweeted something about, uh, you know, some terminology related to, to flying. I was tempted to put a list together of similar terms that we had in sailing. But actually, when I sat down and I had a look at it, I thought, this isn't going to fit in a tweet. This would fit in a blog. Great. Well, we'll have to, hey, there's an idea. We can maybe, we can do a series on that. We have to do a combo, absolutely. There's just too much material. Well, let's look at two more words. And then sure. uh, I want to ask you a couple questions, you know, some tips for people who might want to get into sailing. But these are two other words that I had no idea came from sailing. And they're two words that are used constantly. Now, the first word is skyscraper. I think a lot of people think that a uh, skyscraper has different origins than to actually what it has, but it comes from those boats, those sailing boats with very, very, very tall masts that on some occasions when you're on land, the only thing you could see was the tip of the mast coming through the clouds. But to be totally honest with you, in a lot of cases, more than being clouds, it was more like mist, niebla or neblina, but in any case, in the form of clouds you know, and nubes. And they would kind of, you know, scrape Rasgar, this kind of hole or line across the, the clouds, and that where, that's where it comes from. So today when you see a, a large building with its, uh, the tip of it poking through the clouds, it's, that's where it comes from. Well, I thought, of, you know, once I read that, I said, wait a second. And I imagined, you know, the tip, as you said, of the Empire State Building. And I said, 
it's a ship. What makes it any different than the mast of a ship? Exactly. That big spire that you have coming out of those tall buildings, mm -hmm. it resembles in many ways uh, a ship coming through the sea. In fact, there's a, there are a series of photographs out there that you can Google of what they call ghost boats. And they are boats that are in different types of climatological situations that makes them look that they're actually floating. It's, it's quite incredible. Oh, awesome. Very cool. Well, guys, there's a whole world to be discovered. I love that. Now, skyscraper. There's a good trivia question. You can say, where did the word skyscraper come from? And everyone's going to say, well, buildings. Nah. <laughs> Sailing. They got their second. All right. Now, the next word, unfortunately, this is a buzzword that we're seeing all too much of these days. But, well, we might as well look at it because it is current events, actualidad, quarantine. Quarantine is another term, another word that we have in, in English that has its roots directly in sailing. And it comes from the idea of quarantine being 40 days, you know, or uh, as I say in Italian, quarantina giorni, 40 days. And that was when uh, there was a policy in Venice of ships coming from parts of the world that perhaps had infections or plagues or diseases. So everyone on board was required to stay on board for 40 days in port before the local authorities would let them on land. And that's where it comes from. They had cuarenta dias. They had cuarentena uh, to stay on board so as not to infect the, the people on land. Another expression that has to do with sailing. Unbelievable. Let me ask you this. A few tips for beginners or anyone who maybe wants to get their feet wet, as the expression is. To get your feet wet is to try something a little bit, to dabble, as we say. Well, it depends in, in a way on what part of the world you are in. You know, where are you listening to us from? Each country has its own system. I can only speak for, in this case, for Spain, uh, obviously Ireland too. But uh, I would say to look for una escuela municipal de vela, you know, a municipal sailing school. There are quite a few of them in Spain and they're very, very well run. I think, unfortunately, some people think that sailing is perhaps an elitist sport. And it is true to a degree in this country because sailing has been kind of reserved for people with a lot of money. But there is a way out of that. Like I say, look for your Escuela Municipal and see if they can help you out. But there's a way that you can actually combine your English learning or improving your English with getting into sailing. And that is by going to countries where there are less restrictions to this sport. I was in Poole in the south of the UK at, a, at, the, at the UK National Championship last year in a very, very large yacht club. And they had a sign on the door which basically said inviting any member of the public to come along to the yacht club on a Saturday or a Sunday and the local members there would help them teach them the ropes, bring them on board and help them you know, get into the world of sailing. In Ireland at the moment and the UK too, there are many, many English courses that also involve sailing for kids, teenagers and also for adults. So perhaps one thing that you might want to try is that, you know, you want to improve your English. This COVID situation is going to be solved at some point and hopefully in the, in the not too distant future, we'll be back to traveling as we did before. Get on one of those courses, improve your English and, you know, learn how, what sailing is all about. You sure. know, I absolutely would recommend it to anybody. It's a great sport to get into. So yeah, you can learn the ropes while you learn English. <laughs> Literally. That's it. That's it. I think it's a great way, as we said before, the best way to learn is doing things, activities, exploring. And uh, well, as we see, Brendan Ryan and his family, is, they are no strangers to exploring. And uh, well, cool, man. Really interesting stuff. Now, another thing I wanted to ask you about before I... I get a few more recommendations from you and then we've got to say goodbye. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. I'm sure we could be here for a couple hours uh, just chatting about the interesting world of sailing and all the, the expressions sure. that come from it. Um, but one of the things I imagined when I was preparing this episode was the amazing places that you get to see, the untouched beaches, the hidden gems that Joe Average can't get to because, well, you can't get there except by boat, for example, as uh, private islands. What can you tell me about this? What, uh, have you been to any places where you said, I feel like I'm the first person to ever set foot here? I absolutely have. And again, it goes back to my days, my, my childhood when I was a kid. I used to go sailing with my, with my dad. Not all of the sailing was, was regattas and racing. Some of it was pleasure sailing, which of course he enjoyed a lot. And just off the coast of Dublin, if you look on the map, you'll see there are a couple of islands. The biggest one, the largest one, and the furthest one from the coast is called Lamb Bay. But there's one much closer and it's called Ireland's Eye, El Ojo de Irlanda. And you can get to that island 
only by boat, uh, obviously. There are some companies that were bringing you out there, but they're few and far between. So the only way that you get to it as a kid, when I was a kid back in the 70s, was to sail out. There's no port, there's no pontoon. So it was basically go in as far as you could, drop the anchor, jump on into the sea, and then carry your gear, your towel, your sandwiches, your water, and go onto the beach. And really, I've, I've been on that beach a hundred times, but every time I get there, it's like I'm there for the first time because nothing has changed. It's completely untouched. And it's, it's literally, I suppose, about two kilometers from, from Dublin's capital, but it might be you know, in the middle of an ocean. It's completely abandoned. Very nice place. That must be an amazing feeling just to discover these kind of hidden gems, as we would say, you know. Uh, all right. Now, uh, to get people to wet their appetite. Now, this wet is W-H-E-T-E, uh, not wet mojado. To not wet mojado. <laughs> Any uh, documentaries or things that you can recommend uh, where people can see a little bit more about sailing in this world? Absolutely. There are two fantastic documentaries out there that I'm going to recommend from a very, very uh, long list. Now, you've got to remember as as English learners are people who are out there trying to perfect your English, TV and, and movies and TV series are, are a great way to improve. Uh, documentaries are fantastic if your level is perhaps a little bit lower, you don't feel as confident with uh, movies and TV shows because documentaries are generally narrated. The the narrator tends to speak very clearly and very slowly. That's why I would always recommend documentaries. And two in particular that I want to recommend is one called Maiden Trip, which is a story that perhaps you heard in the news in August 2010. A 16-year-old New Zealand-born Dutch teen, a girl called Lara Decker, set out, Brendio, set out on a trip to sail around the world single-handedly. Ella sola. It's called Maiden Trip, one word, Maiden Trip. Absolutely recommended that, recommendable that, that, uh, that documentary. It's fantastic. There's some controversy around that too. I know with the Dutch government, I don't want to give it away here or let the cat out sure. of the bag, but it w- I mean, it's an amazing feat, Athania or, you know, milestone mm-hmm. in, in human history, but it wasn't without its controversy. Is that right? Absolutely, because you have to think that this girl is 16 years old. Um, sure, her parents gave her the go-ahead to do it, and they are their, obviously their, her legal guardian, so they have the final say. But of course, we have the, the state, I suppose we want to say the nanny state steps in and say, wait, hang on a second, this sounds like something terribly dangerous. This poor girl, poor girl could lose her life, which of course could happen, and of course is not to be sneezed at, not to be laughed at. It's, it's a serious thing. But on the other hand, if we go back to the first part of this uh, podcast, where would the world be today if we didn't have adventurers? People who had, you know, excuse the expression, the balls, you know, had the, the guts. The, the, who, yeah, exactly. The, who are brave enough to get out there and to do these things. The world needs more of these people. We shouldn't be dissuading them. We need to push people to do this. It's absolutely a fantastic thing what, what she did. If a girl at the age of 16 can sail around the world, imagine what she's going to be capable of later on in life when she's an adult. Absolutely in favor of it. I'm just getting the, the double meaning in the title of the documentary, Maiden Voyage. So maiden is primer viaje, but a maiden is a young lady who's not married as well. Exactly. And it brings me to actually the second documentary, which has a very, very similar name, which is just called Maiden. Okay. This is a more recent documentary. Uh, it came out in March 2019 and actually coincided with International Women's Day. And this film tells the story of a young lady of the surname of Edwards, who decided that she wanted to be the skipper, la patrona, or timonela, I suppose would be the other term, of the first all-woman uh, round-the-world whipbread racer. Uh, until that time, the Whitbread round the world race had been dominated by men. For women to come along with their own boat and their own sponsored boat, um, it was met with a bit of curiosity, uh, anger, I suppose, in some sectors of the more conservative sailing world. But generally, people were had their arms open to them, to this all-female crew who came along and had a very, very, very successful race. It's a fantastic story. It's called Maiden. So the first one is Maiden Trip, and the second one is Maiden. Two fantastic documentaries. Awesome stuff. Well, Brandon, uh, as I said, I wish we could chat all day here. Me too. Really fascinating stuff. Anything else you want to say before we say goodbye? I want to also remind you guys, if you're not following Brandon, you need to follow him on Twitter. It's Brendan DM Ryan, if I'm not mistaken. Brendan DM That's it. Ryan. And you can, you can contact me there. You'll see in my profile. 
you have a number of different ways that you can contact me via email or, or directly by, by direct messaging. Like we can, we can look at your situation. If you're interested in, in taking on classes with me come September, I should have some, some new gaps. But what I would say to all you guys is, you know, is, you know, take advantage of these fantastic podcasts, this one and any future ones. Alberto produces, you know, some of the best material that's coming out here in Spain without any shadow of a doubt. He's been in the business for years. Take advantage of this. It's a, it's a great show. You're not going to find this type of uh, quality material in too many places right now. And, you know, uh, it, on the other side, on the sailing side, if you're, you want to get into sailing, don't be put off. Get out there, look for a sailing school. If you want to take two, three weeks abroad, look at places like Ireland and the UK. There, there are fantastic sailing communities there that will be delighted to take you on board and to teach you English on the one hand and uh, learn the ropes uh, about sailing on, on the other, you know, so get involved. All right. Well, great stuff. Thank you so much, Brendan. Thank you so much, listeners as well. A big shout out to my Patreons, my patrons who make this possible by every week, every month supporting me in the work I do. So thank you so much, guys, for being here on another episode of FYI. And a shout out to my super duper stars, Desiree, Susie, Isabel, Alex, Boris, and Loles. And don't forget about my interstellar students, Pilar, Diana, and Carmen. Hang on, hang on. Bring that music back in. How could I forget about my amigos? Special thanks to Augusto Hernandez for the song, Souvenir. Also, my amigo Nacho for lending me his voice and expertise in editing. Now, the show is officially over. See you next week. Tengo que reconocer que... 